Good morning, everyone. And uh, thanks to Donna and Nathaniel for so helpfully leading us so far. Uh, I'd like to show you a quick uh, video clip of one church's rather desperate attempt to uh, get people to come back to church. So is that the 128 megabyte memory card or the 256? 128. Good. Well, that's all very straightforward. Should have those ready for you in about an hour. I would normally say go and have a quick mosey around the shops that uh, Wednesday's half-day closing round here. Um, hey, here's a thought. I'm just about to take the lunchtime service. You could uh, stay for that and then pick up your photographs afterwards if you like. Um, oh... Just have a wander around, look in the shop windows. Yes. Good, good idea. See you. See you in about an hour, then. <laughs> All the instructions are written on the docket. Oh. <laughs> Very good. Back to Church Sunday is a, it's a national initiative that's uh, been running for almost 10 years in the UK. And the, the idea is to encourage people who do go to church to consider uh, inviting someone who's never been to church or more likely who has stopped coming to church for various reasons to consider returning, making their way back, even if it is for just one Sunday. And uh, as I was thinking about this, and I do like the idea, but it did strike me that inviting anyone back to church is about so much more than simply getting them to attend a service for an hour on a Sunday. And we've got to be really careful that we don't give the impression that, that this is it, that, that this is the sum total of church. It's about so much more, isn't it? Now, church doesn't get a great press these days. And let's be honest, why should it? As you look around and you listen to people's stories of their experiences of church, you don't have to look too far or listen for too long before you discover disappointment and frustration and hurt and confusion. That, that may be your story of church. Even as you watch or read our local media, we are aware of major dysfunction and division in a church down the road. Literally down the road. Why would anyone want to be part of that? Why would anyone want to go back to church? And so at one level, it's not surprising that in our culture, in our context, and I know in other parts of the world, as we were hearing last Sunday on our mission Sunday, in other parts of the world, it's different. But in our culture, in our context, churches are struggling. People are drifting away, are no longer engaging. 
And although some recent statistics have indicated slight growth or a stabilizing in church attendance in and amongst certain groupings and denominations, the fact is it's still only a small percentage of the UK population who go to church on a regular basis. And by regular, I mean once a month. I was reading this week how church attendance used to be measured and calculated on a weekly basis. But now, it's worked out based on those who go once a month. That is considered regular. But again, whenever I talk like that, there is a very real danger that I reduce church and what I mean by church to simply turning up on a particular day to a particular building to a particular service. It is about that. This gathering and this this meeting together is vitally important, but surely, surely we want to invite people back to something more. Recently, I came across this post on Facebook, and although it's not a watertight definition or description of church, by any stretch of the imagination, it is good. Church is not what we do, but what God is doing amongst us. It is not a place or a building. It is each bodily frame which houses a believing soul. It's not a social club. It's a family. It is not a pretense of perfection. It is the honesty of flaws. It is not a museum of the good, but a hospital for the broken. It is not religion. It is a relationship. It is not an hour long. It is lifelong. It is not a prophet of doom. It is a voice of hope. It is not a deliverer of judgment. It is a dispenser of grace. It is not dead. It is alive. It does not belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. I like that. I like that a lot. It captures something. It paints a graphic picture that we could kind of stand back and just observe and discuss for hours. But as I was considering where to to turn to, not on Facebook, but to God's word, as Nathaniel said at the start, I I do preach from God's word from time to time. Thanks, Nathaniel. But as I was was considering where to turn in God's word to discover and to explore what church can be and what church should be, and why would anyone want to be part of it? Why would anybody want to come back to church? Well, I decided to go back to the beginning to what it looked like in the early days. What was it that characterized one particular church that it seems people were attracted to, people wanted to join? And so that took me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, which uh, Nathaniel read for us right at the start of the service. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, it's in the Pew Bibles, please do that. Now before we look at this specific church in Jerusalem, And I'm going to look at it in a wee bit of detail. And Don and Nathaniel have given us a really brilliant introduction to this. But but let me say a couple of things by, by way of introduction or clarification. The first is this. Church is people. Church is people. It's a community. It is a family. It's not simply a place or a building or a program of services But because church is people, because it is made up of flawed human beings, the potential to mess up, 
and to get it wrong. And to disappoint is all too real. I read this quote during the week by Simon Jones. Life at church is a bed of roses. You need to say something else, don't you? (laughs) Some of you are shaking your heads. Life at church is a bed of roses. Its beauty can leave you stunned. Its thorns can tear you to pieces. Life in it is a mixture of two. One hopes that the beauty outweighs the blood loss. Again, I love that. You see, that's a recognition for me. That's a recognition that church is people. And as you read a lot of the rest of the New Testament, you listen as various writers address certain problems amongst people. And as they speak into people's lives about how you're meant to relate to one another in this beautiful thing called church. But time and time again, writer after writer has to address problems, has to speak into people's lives. Church is people. Second thing I want to say before we we look at this Acts 2 church is that it wasn't perfect. You know, sometimes people glamorize. They idealize, they romanticize the early church. They read these verses in, in Acts 2 and they think, you know, if we could just get back there, if we could just do exactly what they did, then church would be brilliant all of the time and people would come back in their droves. But to think like that is to say the least, a little naive. The early church was an amazing community, a vibrant community, but it faced many problems. Let me give you one example of how we sometimes read these verses through rose-tinted spectacles. In verse 47, have a look at it. In verse 47, we discover that the early church enjoyed the favor of everyone around them. They were respected, they were esteemed. And therefore, some people read that and think, you know something, again, if we just copy them, then people are going to love us. People are going to follow by themselves to come through those doors. The thing is, as you read on in Acts, you quickly discover that it wasn't too long before this church faced major and almost constant persecution from the people around them. They didn't always enjoy the favor of everyone. I'm not trying to shatter any illusions. I'm not trying to burst any bubbles. I just think it's really important that we engage with this with integrity. So church is people and there's no such thing as the perfect local church. But having said that, this church in, in Acts 2 was a dynamic, vibrant place to be and belong and, and therefore it does provide a model It does provide a model to embrace and consider. And and as you read, again, the rest of the New Testament, the practices, the habits, the experiences of this church, they're constantly encouraged. They're constantly affirmed. They're constantly stressed as being vital to what it means to not only do church, but to be church. And therefore, what I want to do in, in the time of left, and it's about another 10, 12 minutes, is I want to look at seven things that happened here amongst these people in this place. And I want to suggest that these seven things still need to happen at some level, in some way, in every church, in this church, Windsor Baptist Church. We need, okay, 
for other things to happen alongside, for other things to complement these seven, to supplement these seven. But it's these seven that we need to practice, pursue, and protect in order to be an authentic, spirit-infused church which glorifies God and to which people are drawn. That's a big claim, I know. But I believe it's a claim based on God's word. And there I don't make any, therefore I don't make any apology for saying it or making it. You see, if church can be like this, then people might come back. Let's dare to dream a wee bit. Before we look at the seven, let me just set the scene. Because we need to know what has happened up to this point before we break into the story. Well, Jesus had dramatically returned to be with his father in heaven. But But just before he left, he gave his disciples a promise. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so what you find at the beginning of Acts is the apostles and a group of others huddled up in Jerusalem waiting. Waiting. And at the beginning of Acts 2, the waiting's over. The promise is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit powerfully comes upon the gathered disciples and miraculously they start speaking in various and different languages which enables those who have traveled from all over the known world to understand exactly what they're saying. People are bewildered by this. They're perplexed. Some are convinced that these disciples are drunk despite the fact it's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's all there in the text. And in the midst of the the commotion and the confusion, the apostle Peter jumps to his feet and he delivers this really impassioned speech. Explaining the signs and the wonders that have taken place and and he makes a powerful case for Jesus and for his resurrection. And his speech has this immediate impact and it creates what can only be described as mass revival. People, according to verse 37, chapter 2, it says people are cut to the heart. Their hearts are ripped open. And so they say to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, listen, here's what you do. You repent and you be baptized. And incredibly, 3,000 commit themselves to the faith that day and join the other existing 120 Christians. And so this new church, big church, this new community is established And in verses 42 to 47, we find a vivid description of what it was like and what happened and why it grew. Seven things characterize this church. And it's this kind of place, community, that we invite people to join and come back to. The first four are found in verse 42 alone. To start with, it's a place of teaching. See, it says there people listened as the apostles shared and communicated God's word. And church needs to be a place in a community where this living, active, God-breathed word is read and shared and explained and is central. Now, I know there are, there are different models and methods And a variety of styles and preferences. And there's always room for improvement in the development of gifting and skill. But however it happens, in whatever format, God's word, the Bible needs to be let loose. 
It needs to be heard and taught. And this slot, the sermon, which happens here at Windsor every Sunday, most Sundays twice, is one key aspect of that listening and learning. Now, someone might come back and say, but you know something I've heard and listened to so many dull and irrelevant sermons in my time. Some of you are thinking, I'm listening to one of them right now. But as Kenton Anderson says, some of us have heard a lot of boring, boring sermons preached from the Bible, but the answer to the problem is not to abandon the Bible, but to improve the quality of our preaching. We desperately need to hear from God today in our culture and context. And a primary way of listening to the heartbeat of God, how are we going to hear the heartbeat of God for us? primary way is via the reading, preaching, teaching of the Bible. God's life-altering, essential, guiding, nourishing, sustaining word. Church needs to be a place where people encounter God via the teaching of his word. Second thing that happened, fellowship. Now that's one of those words that means different things to different people and virtually nothing to most. As the late John Stott said, there is a constant tendency for the meaning of words to be distorted, for their currency to be devalued, so that words which once throbbed with life are now dead or dying. This is the case with the word fellowship. It's an overworked, undervalued term. Do you know, to fully, for me to fully explain fellowship would take far longer than I have but the primary notion here is relationship it's about belonging to Jesus yes but it's about belonging to each other it's about sharing together it's about being part of something bigger than yourself it's about community and that's one thing that many people today are crying out for, a sense of belonging, a sense of being connected. It's about looking out for others. It's about looking out for one another, being there for one another. And throughout the New Testament, as this concept is explained and teased out, you come across, and we as a church have looked at these in some detail at the start of this year, we come across a number, numerous one another verses, which enhance which fuel, which actually explain to us what this relationship looks like, what this connection looks like, what this fellowship is all about. Here's a list to remind you. This is fellowship. Serving one another. Encouraging one another. Teaching and admonishing one another. Confessing our sins to one another. Praying for one another, bearing with one another, being kind to one another, comforting one another, forgiving one another. It's not an exhaustive list. There's more than those. That is fellowship when that's happening. That's connection. That's what was happening here. The third characteristic of this church found in verse 42 is the breaking of bread. Now I know, because some of you are going to challenge me on this afterwards, I know it meant more than this in that context, in that culture, but it included this. 
An integral part of their meeting and eating together would have featured bread and wine, an opportunity to pause, to stop, to reflect, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, to renew their commitment, to celebrate their salvation. And as a church and as a community of people, we constantly need to keep coming back to the cross. We need to keep coming back to the cross. A place of forgiveness and renewal. A place of examination and refreshment. And therefore every week here at Windsor we find ourselves either in the morning or in the evening gathered round this table, not our table, round the Lord's table inviting people to eat and to drink in remembrance of what he did for us on the cross. Therefore, church is a community, is a place where this is a core feature and practice and we're going to do it together in about seven minutes. Fourthly, it was a place of prayer. It was a community where they entered into and enjoyed dialogue with the living God. Where they cried out to him on behalf of others and themselves. And church needs to be a place where there are expressions of praise and where petitions are brought A place where we articulate our need of divine help. Because none of us can do this without his help. Life. Church. Prayer is a spiritual lifeline. It is an awesome privilege. And therefore it has got to be part and parcel of what we do together. And so whenever people come to church. They've got to be led in prayer. They've got to be encouraged to engage in prayer. And so this Acts 2 Jerusalem church was a community. It was a place of teaching, of connection, of breaking of bread, of prayer. That's what we invite people back to. Not to a service. Not to a building. But look at this with me because... It wasn't just a case that these four things were happening here. Look at the start of verse 42. See, it says these people were devoted to these things. Sold out on them. Persisted in them. If you want, they were addicted to them. And there's a very real challenge here for us as a local church and a community of God's people. Because we've got to search our hearts and ask, are we, are we, Devoted to these. Let me personalize this. Am I devoted to these? How does my life. From week to week. Reflect my commitment. To the teaching of this. To sharing life with others. To breaking bread. To prayer. Because you know something. Church. Those who are the people of God. If we are not devoted to these things. Can this still be church? The Acts 2 church were devoted. Sold out on. Addicted to. And the church grew. Finish real quick. Three more things. Three minutes. The fifth. is wide eyed wonder. Look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. 
Or in another translation, awe came upon every soul. Awe is a word that refers to a holy fear. In response to the presence and the activity of God. It describes the feeling or rather the attitude and the reality of reverence that comes whenever you realize God is here. God is at work. God is present. And so you stand amazed with wide-eyed wonder. Incredible signs and wonders were taking place in this church. And yes, it says they were performed by the apostles. But listen, the reason people stood in awe, the reason people were in awe, was because they knew God was at work. Not the apostles. And back to the Facebook post, church is not what we do. It's what God is doing amongst us. Church needs to be a place where God is the focus of all that is said and all that is done, where God is exalted and glorified and celebrated for who he is, what he's done and what he's doing. In other words, church needs to be a place of worship. We were created to worship. And church needs to be a place where people stand in awe. I love this quote, I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and I plod through life with blinkers on. Church needs to be a place where the blinkers come off. And we'll get, you know, this is where conversations get sparked off about styles of worship and all sorts of stuff, and people get lost in this, and people like this, and people don't. This is about God. This is about standing in awe of God with the blinkers off, amazed at who He is and what He has done and what He is doing. The sixth thing that church needs to be is a place of love. Look at verses 44, verse 45. You discover that practical, tangible, active, sacrificial love spilled out of this community. These people responded to the needs of those around them. They opened their wallets and their homes. They became increasingly aware of those around them in need of help and hospitality. And they responded accordingly. Do you know an authentic church should be that kind of place where love permeates the community. And when church is like that, when people see our love for one another, it's then, according to Jesus, they will know we are his disciples. It's by our love for one another. Church needs to be a community of love. And finally, needs to be a place of joy. Verse 46 in the, in the New Living Translation reads like this. They worshipped together. They met in homes. They shared meals with great joy. Church should be a community characterized by a deep and intense joy. I'm done. We will probably never have digital photo processing in church or offered by church. But what I do hope and pray is that we can be a church and we can invite people to a community of teaching, connection, breaking bread, prayer, 